Are you satisfied with your understanding of sustainability? If not, like me, imagine a journey together, a pluralistic one, with innovators, startup, academia, NGO, all together looking for solution to the greatest challenge of our time. I'm Samuele Tini, and this is the Sustainability Journey. Welcome to another episode, and today we are going to discuss the Milk Value Chain, Big Corporation, and how to foster sustainability in emerging market. And we do with a leader investment, somebody that has uh, successfully been at the helm of many companies in Kenya and in any other markets. We do with Joachim Festerveld, the CEO of BioFood. Joachim, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you, Sam. Lovely to be here. Joachim, you have an impressive career. You have been investing in the emerging market, fostering sustainability, and now Bio, I think, is the jewel of the crown, we can call it like this, of your work. But before that, the question for our audience, who is Joachim? What is your sustainability journey? I'm a Dutch entrepreneur. I'm 49 years old. I think there's two parts to it. There's entrepreneurship in emerging markets and their sustainability. So my business partner and I, uh, starting with, with the entrepreneurial journey, my business partner and I, we met in university. And during university, we started to do humanitarian aid transports. That's where our journey together started. So we, this was in 1998, just after the war in Yugoslavia. So we saw the need in Yugoslavia to support the needy and in, in these kind of war zones, always the psychiatric hospitals, orphanage, you know, they're always overlooked. Uh, we joined hands with a student organization and we started organizing and executing humanitarian aid transport. We would gather funds from, from Dutch students and then we would buy medicine and we would drive them ourselves into the most obscure parts of former Yugoslavia. So a lot of cowboy adventures. And from there, our appetite started. We went into this whole world of aid. So my, my business partner, after he finished his studies, he went to Chechnya and I went to first to Sudan, Khartoum, and then I went to live in Eritrea, which then just got out of the war with Ethiopia, which one of the poorest countries in the world. We spent about two years out on, on our tour of duty. And when we came back to the Netherlands, we actually said, look, this aid is one thing, but you know, aid is helping, but it's not really changing things. And so we said to ourselves, how can we actually drive change and how can we drive real progress? And we said... You know, building small, medium and large enterprises is actually what drives economies and what drives wealth and wealth drives education and education drives progress and it makes if you create jobs, if you bring new innovative things to markets, you actually help these markets to progress and you make sure that you create jobs and that people can send their kids to school, keep them healthy, et cetera, et cetera. So that's actually when the idea for our company, which is called the Blue Link, started. And from there, we ventured, we just did the weirdest things. Um, our first company uh, was, uh, is, and we still own it actually, was a company in Pakistan. We started a company that was bringing bull semen to Pakistan, so basically to help the Pakistani farmers to uplift their breeds. I moved to Pakistan in 2006, literally with a laptop and a credit card. And I took a hotel in Lahore. And from there, we built ProFarm. And ProFarm, now 16 or 17 years later, is actually a leading a company in Pakistan helping dairy farmers to build and expand their dairy farms. So we help people build their farms. Some are 50 heads, but there's also we've also built farms of 6,000 cows. So our largest our largest customer produces about 150,000 liters in one farm a day. So we still own that company. From there, we ventured into animal feeds. And the same time in Kenya, that brings us to Kenya. My, my father lived in Kenya my whole life. So my first visit to Kenya was actually 1980 long, long time ago. So I always had a link with Kenya. So we also started, I think it was 2008, 
We saw the opportunity to do investments in Kenya, upcoming economy. So we started a fund called the TBL Mirror Fund. And from there, we ventured into companies. And from that, after five or six year, years in, in Pakistan, we so we started ProFarm. We started a feed business, Maxim, which is now a large feed supplier. Again, making feeds which are aflatoxin safe, which are actually giving farmers real results. So helping farmers to actually progress. So after five, five years in Pakistan, we decided to come back to Kenya. So we moved back to Kenya in 2013. In Kenya, we saw the opportunity in dairy. Uh, the opportunity that we saw was a growing middle class, a middle class that wants healthy and safe foods. And on the other hand, we saw the problems in the dairy sector, low efficiency, low production, very low quality milk. So we said to ourselves, if we can serve these customers and with our knowledge from Pakistan of how you can help farmers to actually produce more and better milk, there's a business opportunity. So we started looking for dairy companies and that led us to acquire Bio in 2015. And since then we've been building Bio. It's been a great adventure and, and I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. And I think the sustainability journey comes is very clearly interwoven in whatever we did. We started our group, and it's now called the TBO Group of Companies. We started the Blue Link back in the day with the idea that we wanted to do good through business. So our prime objective was to say, how do you engage in emerging markets and help basically drive progress? From the onset, people and planet have been very core to our strategy. So whenever we venture into a market, we want to do something new, something innovative. So we never want to just copy what others are doing because it's working. No, we want to bring something new. And we are very focused on when we do it, that we are putting people, planet and profit at the same level, because we believe for two reasons. I think, first of all, we believe it's the right thing to do. Why? It's very clear. If we look around ourselves, we see climate change, we see poverty, if you want to run a business today, you need to run it in a way that you can also run it in five years or 10 years or 15 years, because otherwise it's simply, it's not about sustainability in general. It's about sustainability in particular. If you run a business which is actually detrimental to its environment or its community, it means you are undermining your own business sustainability. And the second is, we believe that if you put people and planets at the same level of profit and in that order... If you look at people and planet, profit will come. If you put profit first, you're taking shortcuts. If you don't treat your people well and put them first, you might extract something out of them today, but you can't do that for 24, 36, 48 months because at some point they will break. We are very firm believers that people make a business. Now you are at the helm of the one of the fastest growing uh, company in Kenya that is biofood. We know that the dairy is one of the priority. It is also the backbone of agriculture in Kenya. So which are the challenges that uh, you have seen in the milk industry in Kenya? And how bio with this unique approach is trying to address them? Yeah, there's one very simple principle. If you pay your farmers a marginalized milk price, or if you prevent your farmers from making money, you will get a marginalized dairy sector. And the problem that we have in Kenya already for the last, say, 15 years is that input costs have gone up and the milk price has actually gone down. So it means farming is not a profitable business in that way. And anywhere in the world, you can't, if there's no profit to be made, it means that it's not a business and it means that it's, some, it's a side business for people or it's a subsistence business, which means... People are not paying attention. They're not investing. And what happens then is that your efficiency goes down. So to give you an example, in India, which is one of the largest milk producers in the world, the average production per animal is about 1,700 liters a year, which is about six liters per day. 
In Kenya, it is 832 liters per year, which is 2.3 or 2.4 liters a day. Now, in that number lie a lot of issues. First of all, it means the farmer is not profitable because a cow needs to eat first before she produces milk. So it means you're spending money to keep her alive. And then you get a very small quantity of milk, which means you can't make money. The second is you can imagine Kenya is the largest milk producer in Africa. We have a population growth, which is tremendous. Kenyans are milk drinkers. It means if you need to feed this nation with cows that produce 2.3 or 2.7 liters a day, it means you need to have a lot of cows, right? To produce that milk, which also means that's an environmental disaster because these cows need to eat first, right? They need to have space. You need to grow fodder for them to, to live, but they don't give you the result. They don't give you milk because to give you an example, in the Netherlands or in the US, a cow can give you 28, 30, 40 liters a day. That's 10 times of what the cow in Kenya is producing, right? So there's a lot in that inefficiency lies a very big environmental problem and lies a very big commercial problem for the farmers. And it means that over time, the dairy sector over the last 10 years, it has gone down. And I can give you an example. 20 years ago, Kenya was a net export of dairy. It exported dairy all over the region. Today, it's a net import of dairy. So Kenya, at this point in time, only produces 80% of its requirement. And then on top of the commercial problem, the environmental problem, you get the economic problem. That means that if Kenya is an importer of food items, right, that's dollars which have to go out, while we have all the resources in Kenya to produce our, our own product. So I think in that, at, there lies the core of the issue. We as Bio have set ourselves a vision, and the vision of Bio is we want to create a world where everybody has access to safe and healthy food, everyone. So that means this is not a journey that we go alone. I always say, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So we have set it ourselves as a mission, not only to delight our customers with uh, good products, to grow a business, we have set ourselves to take the sector on a journey then together with our, with our sector partners. And how do we do that? First of all, we pay a higher price. And how do we do that? We basically say to ourselves, we monitor if our farmers are making money. Because if the farmer is not making money, you cannot expect them to do anything. You cannot expect them to produce quality. You cannot expect them to, to make effort. You cannot expect them to invest because it doesn't make any sense. So we monitor for every farm monthly whether they're making money or not, whether the efficiency is there. And we do that by looking at their feed costs and then saying, what's our milk price? Because these two things are obviously linked. If we see that the feed costs are going up, we will increase the price. And just to give you an example, in April, when the rain started, all our competitors started lowering the prices because obviously they said rains are coming. So there's feed, so the cows will produce a lot of milk so we can lower the price. We actually said, we see the input cost with the dollar going up. So the farmers are making less money. We're going to add a shilling. What you then create is a farmer which sees, hey, there's money to be made. And therefore I'm interested to learn I'm interested to invest. I'm interested to create quality. So that's number one, a, a milk price that ensures that the farmer makes profit. And then once you have the interest of the farmer, because it's a business, then you can start helping them with technical support. So we have a team, we have external and internal teams that actually go to the farm and help them. How do you increase production? How do you increase your quality? And how do you increase your sustainability? So that's layer number two, technical support. So first is price, price and profit. Number two is technical support. And then number three is how do you then create an ecosystem around these farmers that's conducive to their business? So that means we work with feed suppliers. 
to make sure that the feed they get is the right price, the right quality, and that is aflatoxin safe because aflatoxin, highly cancerous uh, toxin, which is rampant in Kenya, it originates a lot from feed. So we work with feed suppliers. Then we talk to banks. We say, guys, if you ask farmers to repay a loan in three years, it's not going to work. So how can we help you with an off-taker agreement to get better loan terms? So the third is to create an ecosystem around the farmer that is conducive to their business. So in summary, farmer profitability is a key item, high input, low milk price. What we do about it is make sure that the farmer makes money. So we pay the right price. We then have a team of internal and external people that go to the farms and help them to produce more and better milk in a more sustainable way. And thirdly is then we work with partners to create a conducive environment around the farmer to make sure that they actually have access to the right products and services to do business. And we are very open about that. That means we're not this, we're not keeping this to ourselves like, oh, this is only bio. We're actually trying to get other processors to come with us on the journey. So our philosophy is not we're trying to get the best piece of the pie. Our philosophy is let's make the pie bigger for everyone. And in the process, make sure that Kenyans have access to safer and healthy food. I can see also from my experience in the work in the farms and with farmers, it can have transformative areas, especially in support from the rural areas, which are the main producers. And the bio way is really expanded also into the social, you know, you wanted also to become visible and certified. And now you have one of the few uh, B Corp certified companies in Kenya. So as a B Corp, I can see you really balance profit and purpose together within the budget and the world. We have discussed with many people in, in our pod. So how you navigate this tension sometimes in your uh, company? And then how the, the B Corp certification help you also tackle the different areas? So your worker, your suppliers, your customer in this journey. We're obviously very proud of our B Corp certification because it's not an easy process. To be honest, the tension... I have not experienced that much because we as a business have always said sustainability is core to our business. And I have learned over the last 20 years running businesses that, again, what I said early in our conversation, if you put people first, if you put planet and then pro profit will follow. So once you have that confidence that it works that way, investing in people or making the right decision for the planet becomes much easier because the tension is there if you're always counting money first and then you say, okay, is there something left to do something which might be right, right? We, our philosophy is different. We first do what is right and we believe that profit will follow. And my experience over the last 20 years is that I'm very proud that together with our great people in Pakistan, our great people in Kenya, we have built some very robust, profitable, fast-growing and sustainable businesses by putting people, planet and profit in that order. And it means if you look at trucks, you know, and sometimes you make mistakes. Let's let's be honest. Sometimes you uh, somebody makes a decision in the short term, and then you end up with with, for instance, trucks which are not sustainable. Their fuel consumption is not very good, but they're also not durable, right? So now, in every decision we make, in our procurement decisions, in our investment decisions, we always say what is the right thing to do for people, and what's the right thing to do for planet. And if it costs a little bit more, let's do it because it will pay itself back many times over. And that's my experience. So I don't, the tension, I think is a tension. If you put money, if, if you secretly in the back of your mind, put money at, at, at the front, it becomes a tension. But if you understand how profit in the end of the day is generated, profit is a purely a measure of the things you do. It should never be 
the thing you do. Because if it's the thing you do, you have a very short-term business. You make very short-term decisions, you will not have a durable business. So that's the way we look at it. And that's the way that has brought us to where we are today. B Corp, it's interesting for us to tell you a little bit about our journey of certification is because sustainability was core to our business, we did a lot of things and we thought we were doing good. You know, you, you pat yourself on the shoulders. Ah, we're sustainable. We're making all these good decisions. So at one point we said to ourselves, but are we really doing just not for the world, but for ourselves for as a scorecard to see all these nice things that we think are nice, are they really nice? So we learned in that process by doing a CO2 footprint, by doing a, a people assessment, et cetera. We learned actually there's things that we didn't know were better to do. And there was other things that are not as important. It was all about our own accountability. And then once we had that report, we started sharing it and every the whole world started saying, okay, that's great. Uh, bio is being sustainable. But it was actually for ourselves. Eh? As a business, we believe what you measure, you improve. So we wanted to measure ourselves. So for instance, we do a CO2 footprint and the previous years, we wanted to make sure that our CO2 emission per kg of product went down. We're now going to move to a much more bold place where we want to say we want to bring our absolute CO2 footprint down. It means we're not going to make it relative to growth. We're just going to say as a business, we want to bring our CO2 footprint down in absolute terms. And then we offset the rest uh, to be carbon neutral. So then we learned a lot and we started to do things better. So we we moved to solar as a business. We do we recycle about 60,000 liters of water per day. We moved, for instance, to livable wage. Yeah, so to give you an example, Sam, in Nairobi, the minimum wage in manufacturing is 23,000 shillings. Now, if you ask any person living in Nairobi if they, they can rent a house, have food, have healthcare, send our kids to school and have some money in the bank for a rainy day on 23,000 shillings, they will say, no way, it's not possible, it's too low. So we said to ourselves, now if we believe that our people are so important to us, but we're paying them a wage of which we know they cannot make ends meet in Nairobi, is that sustainable? It's not. You can't expect people to show up at work every day, give everything if you're not giving them the prerequisite to have a balanced life. So we moved in that process to livable wage, which is 32,400 and something. So that's almost 10,000 shillings gross more than the minimum wage for all our employees. So at Bio, you will not find anybody below that amount uh, because we believed it was the right thing to do. And what do you get in return? Motivate, get a much better team. So these were all kinds of things we learned from our sustainability reporting. Then we said, now, if we're leading in terms of, of sustainability, how are we doing on the global standards? So we said, what is the highest? And this again for ourselves, not for the world, not to nettle as a marketing tool, but purely as a putting the bar for ourselves higher. So we said to ourselves, what is the highest global certification in sustainability? And B Corp was the one. Patagonia is B Corp. Danone is B Corp. There's some very major companies in, in the world that are B Corps. And B Corps basically means that you have been certified to put people, plant and profit at the same level, at the core of every decision you make. Uh, so that journey started about two and a half years ago. They turned us upside down. They audited us. We were scored and blah, blah, I don't know what. And finally, we were B Corp certified. And I think we're the first food manufacturer in Kenya that's B Corp certified. I think we're the third dairy processor in Africa that's B Corp certified. We're the fourth food manufacturer in Africa that's B Corp certified. And I think we're the 73rd or 74th dairy in the world that's B Corp certified. So we, we're really proud to have moved into that very small group of companies that have actually been certified B Corp. And if you ask me the question, what, what has it done for us? The main thing, it keeps us honest and it helps us to operate within a framework where we're not telling ourselves 
oh, we're great, oh, good, biosustainable. No, we want to, to make sure that somebody from the outside helps us to keep sharp because we believe if you make sure that you operate within a framework, it means you're also not telling yourself stories, but you're actually doing the right thing. And then, of course, on the side, marketing people, it, it, it's a recognition, but it's mainly driven from our own very deep intrinsic desires of business to drive to bring sustainability totally to the core of our business. And I can tell you the results for us as a business are unbelievable. We have, if you see the way this company has been growing, the way we have been working with our farmers, with our stakeholders, and how over the last 36 months, that journey has solidified and has exhilarated. And we have a weekly all hands meeting with our team. So we meet everybody in the company in our canteen every Thursday morning at eight, and people who are not there come online and the, the energy that's there, the teamwork that it has created, the pride that it has created in our people. I mean, honestly, for me as a businessman, as a leader, that's the biggest gift. If you come to a meeting, I hardly talk. It's them. It's the team talking. It's people sharing, updating. You know, you created momentum. I think if you would really pin me on one word, what our strategy has done for us, it has put our people and therefore our business into momentum. If everybody in the company feels progress and they feel they feel the hunger and they know what they have to do and they do that together, your whole business starts to catalyze into momentum. If we look at soccer, some leaders think they need to be the scorer, right? They need to stand in front of the goal. Other people think they need to be the midfielder. I think you should be a coach. In the end of the day, you should stand at the sideline and the people in your company should be moving over the field and you just are standing there guiding. And that is, I think, the best gift a leader can get if you put a company in momentum. And I think that is what it's done for us. So passionate. Uh, you have touched on many of the results. Also, they've come up from my personal research on B Corp and especially uh, the employee and putting people together. So the, also the, your leadership style is a leadership style that make them people grow and empower people, which is usually the best for long-term results and bringing also together the social aspect and putting people also at the same path, as you said, even before profit. And on that, you are a wise entrepreneur. Uh, bio, the results are there. We know for people in Kenya now it's become an household brand and also recognized in the market. And we want to ask you, you have uh, also, and we go a bit broader, you have said that you have a span of experience in, uh, in investing in emerging market for the past, let us say, 15 to 20 years. So which are the challenges and rewards that are peculiar to this type of market? And then which are the perspectives that you can see for in, in this market, the challenges that uh, especially the, what is supposed to be the next area uh, in demographic, in economic growth, which are the particular challenges and rewards you can find in this part of the world? When you look at... I, I always say there's opportunity and imperfection. In other words, where things are not connecting well is where the opportunity is, right? Things that are flowing are, are fine. There's nothing much to do. But where there's imperfection, like what we saw at Bio, we saw a, a consumer group wanting quality products and we saw milk quality and milk production being low. That was an imperfection. I think the, the beauty and the opportunity in emerging markets is that there's many imperfections. I mean, you you live in Kenya and, and you can ask any Kenyans, there's many imperfections, many things that don't flow, that where there's friction. So the interesting thing is then that, that's where the opportunity lies. And if you can find a solution for that imperfection, if you can take away that friction, that is where you can grow a business. So in Pakistan, we saw milk processors crying for more milk, paying cash, 
the farmers having very low average production. So we said to ourselves, hey, there's a tension here. What can we do to take the tension away? And that's when we started ProFarm. So when we started ProFarm, we saw, hey, farmers now, they have better breeds, but they don't have the right feed. And Nestle needs aflatoxin safe milk. So there's an imperfection here. How do we position ourselves in that chain to take away the friction? We saw in Kenya recently with, uh, with our common friend uh, Juju, she created a company called Greenspoon, which basically said, we are going to bring very good, sustainable, as much as possible Kenyan, uh, organic, when possible, products to Kenyan consumers. So we saw, hey, there's a group of people that want that, and now they have to go all over the place to buy it. What if we curate it in one place and make it very convenient for them to get it? And the results are amazing because we have been able to connect a group of people that have a certain desire to producers. And we're actually bringing a lot of small producers, organic producers that would never otherwise find a route to market. It's, it's like you can look at an emerging market in two ways. You can say, ah, it's a terrible, there's so much problems. Or you can say, ah, it's great because there's so much problems. Right? <laughs> the long and short of it is there is opportunity and imperfection. And, and then, of course, you need to ask yourself the question, if I solve that, and that's then the businessman's question, if I solve that imperfection, am I creating value? Is it enough value for, for what I do? And can I scale it? And there's always the question of scalability. So there's many things that will pass by. You say, fine, I can solve it, but I can't make money out of it and I can't grow it. Right? But if you see, there's also opportunities where you say, I can solve it. I can make money of it and I can scale it up. If you would ask me to summarize the answer to your question is, there's opportunity and imperfection. Look for the friction. When you look for the friction, ask yourself the question, A, can I solve it? B, do I make money while solving it? And C, can I scale it? And I think you will see many startup businesses that have found the friction for sure, but they have not answered question A, B, and C well. In other words, they, they can solve the problem, but if you really look at it, they can't make money. And sometimes if they can make money, it's not scalable. And then you don't have a business. It's not just about doing good things. It's also about having a business mind and saying, is this actually money making and is it scalable? Fantastic piece of advice for any people that is listening to us and our listeners all over the world on how to move. And on that, I want to build up on that and say, how do you see? We have seen the climate summit in Nairobi, COP28, and the, the role of business is also heralded as one who can bring sustainability. And especially also in the emerging market, it's become a priority. So if you see the discussions and the way uh, there is a lot of interest on what was mainly uh, sometimes uh, even five or 10 years ago, something that was just in small circles. So how do you see evolving the relation with business and sustainability in emerging markets? I think it's growing, which is good. And I think it is, it's the need of the day, obviously. It is very simple. You look around you, you look at state of society, you look at state of the environment, you look at the global changes in the environment, you look at the global state of things, and it's very clearly staring you in the face. We cannot continue to do the things as we used to. So I think that is number one. It is the right thing to do, and the time is now. The time was already 10 years ago, but the time is now, now, now. I think that's one. And I think everybody that... The second thing I think the good thing is the consumer is becoming more and more aware and demanding, which is very important. And uh, because that helps in the end of the day. And I, I always like what Judy, uh, the, the founder of Greenspoon says, every shilling you spend is a vote for the world you want to live in. So you spend your money there where you think people are doing the right thing. I think it's great that more and more consumers are asking the question. And I think what I see is that 
businesses are becoming more proactive in terms of demanding and coordinating with government, et cetera, et cetera, to ask the business environment that's conducive towards sustainability. And I think that is a journey that we as Bio and that we as Greenspoon and our other companies, we, we try to bring other businesses along to make sure that we actually drive for a business environment that's conducive towards sustainability. To give you an example, if today as Greenspoon, we want to move to electric vehicles. If today I bring an electric vehicle, an electric van to Kenya, by the time I have it in my premises, I'm paying 5.5 million shillings. If I bring that same van, but then in petrol from Japan, it's 1.4 million shillings. That's four, three times and something more expensive. So we as a business now are coordinating with government saying, guys, that does not make sense. Let us make sure that it becomes cheaper to do electric in Kenya than it's petrol, right? So it's a lot of, and I think that's a very positive vibe. And I think business has a very important role to play because I think in the end of the day, governments are voted by the people and supported by business. So what we need to make sure is that voters vote in the right way and that businesses do what's right to drive government to make sure there's a conducive business environment. But I think we're we're moving in the right direction, uh, but we need to go faster, obviously. And I think we as Bio and we as a group try to be very vocal. And, and again, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So we're trying to pull as many businesses with us so that we create a momentum and we and, and together we create positive momentum. It's really important, the policy and the advocacy, especially for business on how to change rules and how to enable investment in the green energy and, and support that. It's really important and it's, it's really especially important how to scale and, and support businesses like yours and others, which they are doing good and doing good for the planet and people and, and for the overall economy. And the subsequent question is this. You said if you go alone, uh, you know, you don't go very far, fast. And, and, you know, if you want to go together, you go slower, but then you, you have a solid growth. Where do you want to go with bio and your whole companies? Which is your vision? in the midterm. We as Bio, as I said before, our vision is to make sure or to create a world where everybody has access to safe and healthy food now and in the future. And in now and in the future is obviously the sustainability journey. The business has its own momentum and the business is growing very fast. And it's very that's very exciting because it means we are creating employment, we're creating wealth, we're creating profitable and happy farmers, and we are serving happy and satisfied and healthy consumers. Because in the end of the day, Bio connects happy farmers to happy customers. That's our job. Our aim is to grow that. Our aim is to take other people along in that journey. And our vision is to take that as far as we can and to always stay close to our and true to our principal people, planet, and then profit. And for me personally, to bring it to, to circle back to me personally, I think you always need to be very, it's, I call it leading at the speed of growth. A leader always needs to ask themselves the question, am I still the right person to lead the business? Because you have a certain skill set, your business evolves. As long as I'm enjoying what I'm doing, and as long as we are enjoying what we're doing, and as long as we feel that we are, and me personally, I can add value to the team, I will be part, I'll be leading it. But there can also be a time when somebody else has to take over because the business is not me. The business is the people and the business is the momentum. So in short, our vision is to grow and help farmers to prosper, make sure that there's access to health and safe food now and in the future, to build our business, to build the, the livelihoods of our people and to create a beautiful business. In the end, it's, it's just a lot of fun to create a beautiful business with a beautiful team. Uh, and for me personally, I will keep on assessing. And basically, a leader should make himself 
or herself obsolete. So there will, of course, be a day that somebody else can do better. It's a wonderful also case study on how, you know, big corporate certification and align people profit and, and planet. And as you say, profit come last. It's really make you transform an industry which seems to be like on the on the deathbed, as, as you say, that was declining and really transform and unlock a movement also of other businesses into sustainability. And on that, you have now a wonderful wealth of experience all over, spanning all over. So many people, they maybe want to ask, as we approach the end of the episode, we want to ask, Joachim, which are some tips or insights to really that you want to share with us if we want to start a journey like yours from the cowboy days, jump in Bosnia or Croatia, up to now in the emerging markets of, of Africa? Yes, My main tip would be be curious. And I believe if you know better what you don't know than what you do know, you are learning. If you're curious and you're humble and you're interested, intrinsically interested, you will find the opportunity. Then we go back to there's there's opportunity and imperfection. But before anything, you need to be curious. If I don't see you being curious and curious to learn the things that you don't know, you're on standstill. People that know what they know, They can't learn anything. They're just perfect. I'm perfect. I know everything. But people that know what they don't know and are intrinsically curious to learn, they're interested. I want to understand. I want to understand why, how it's working. Not because I'm intrinsically curious. So I think if you want to start a journey like this, you need to be intrinsically curious. You need to know what you don't know. Look for the imperfection and then be a little bit crazy. And sometimes just try things which... Others might not try. And sometimes you fail and sometimes you succeed. And lastly, make sure that you have fun in the process. Don't take it personal. Every opportunity, everything that, anything that goes wrong. And you can look at things that go wrong in two ways. You can say, ah, it's terrible. It went wrong. I made a mistake. It's bad. Or you can say, okay, it went wrong. But what have I learned from this? And what will I do different next time? That's also what we do at Bio, for instance. Whenever there's a problem, I say, I don't care who did it. It's not interesting. It's interesting. What happened? Why did it happen? How did it happen? And what do we learn from it? Because then you create a growing organization. So I think that's also for people intrinsically dare to make mistakes. Don't blame yourself. Don't uh, beat yourself down on it, but just ask yourself what happened? Why did it happen? How did it happen? And what did I learn from it? Fantastic piece of advice, Joachim. And food for thoughts. And for somebody now to start learning, go back and really understand and be curious in their journey. So I'm really grateful for this wonderful case and wonderful lesson that you have given us and shared your insights and experience. It has been a pleasure and honor hosting you in the, our podcast. Thank you so much, Joachim. Thank you so much, Sam. It was great to be here. And uh, thank you for the great questions. It's always nice to reflect on things. Uh, and I hope that uh, the listeners uh, have taken something out of it. I look forward to seeing new new ideas and things pop out of it and see them around me in Kenya. Thank you so much. Are you satisfied after this wonderful episode? Let's continue together our sustainability journey.